But what if the place where God has called them to lead is somewhere we haven't seen before? And so we can't supervise that because we I, I don't know how to train you to lead in this regard because I've never seen this before. Okay, okay. That's a little hint, a little preview. Pastor Trey, Pastor Ferguson, Trey Ferguson in the house, faced in the fresh five. Welcome to the podcast. This is episode number 48, season seven. I'm your host, Ro Hattie. Coming at you from Treaty 7 territory in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. We fly clear across North America to hit almost the opposite side in Florida. Made fun of Florida the last episode. That's okay, it's Florida. No, it's not. I appreciate Trey's voice in this episode. We cover some ground here. It's always important to bring in voices from different traditions so that you have a chance to see how the world and faith operates in a different place and space and a different people. We learn a little bit about Trey, some context the Lancey's from, including podcasts like the New Living Translation that's connected to retranslating the scriptures so we start and end around that move into ideas around faith formation and dissecting contemporary discipleship since we're both pastors we get nerdy around discipleship how that might look like in black church traditions versus white protestant or catholic traditions a lot of it's similar but a lot of it's different chat about promoting dialogue and questions as a way to form an idea and folks around their faith. And that's connected to reimagining church traditions and gathering. And so we share some examples, which is exciting. Then we hit up the final third around some of his work, the Three Black Men podcast, preaching, decolonizing Christianity and scripture, using different words, and all that in the bid to find wholeness. Seriously, check this one out. You're going to enjoy it. It's fun. There's a couple of laughs. We even learned what TikTok is. I've never heard of it. That's it. Let's go. What's up, man? Welcome. Hey, man. What's happening? We almost crisscrossed the entire North American space. We're at Canada and United States right now. I don't even know what a direct flight, how long that would take. Five hours, maybe? If I could go direct to Miami. Yeah, I feel like it might be longer than that. I don't know. Could be. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. There's this, you know, funny how the earth is curved and everything like that. You can't prove that. I'm no, joking. I mean, I'm joking. I'm flat, joking. Yeah. Would it be yeah. less time or more? It would be I think it would be, it would be less. less if yeah. It was, it was, yeah, I think so. Well, there we go. We could disprove this. All we need is a plane. <laughs> yeah, man. Hit my cash out. I think you're going to need a couple duffel bags for that. <laughs> we can make it happen. I have faith in us. Yeah. All we need is a little yeah. bit of faith. You two could have a G6. Yeah. Dang, I've been doing it wrong. Right. We've been hustling backwards, man. We, we could do this. We could do this. I'm telling Hustling you, so, backwards? Yeah. That makes a lot of sense, actually. That would explain why I make literally hundreds of dollars a month. Huh. Hundreds of dollars a month. I I... I have dozens of dollars in my bank account. Dozens, That's, I tell you. You're jealous. 
<laughs> and then the, what she say is that I just keep in all my gifts and my storehouse in heaven. That's there you it. go. Where the moths cannot reach it. <laughs> yeah. If I'm going there. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Is it up in the clouds? We'll go. We'll talk about that later. Yeah, man. We'll figure uh, it out. We start off with introductions of who you are and where you are situated, possibly the traditional lands that you are on now, and also pull us back as far as you would like to go. Trey, the floor is yours. Hey, for sure, man. I'm Trey, the host or one of the hosts of the Three Black Men podcast. We talk about theology, culture, and the world around us. Also the host of the New Living Translation podcast, <laughs> Bonafide Bible Talk with Pastor Trey. That's me. That's an NLT? <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought it was yeah. like I have an NLT. Is that you? Anyway, I digress. No, yeah, I wish, I wish. Soon, I do know somebody who got their name in that. Like my my uh, my mentor's mentor is one of the editors in there, and I'm like, dog, your name is in the Bible. That's what's up. <laughs> you uh, wrote the Bible. So, <laughs> you wrote the Bible, dude. Uh, yeah, they told me it was. I'm sorry, I'm about to get myself in trouble. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so I'm down here in uh, what is. Currently known as Miami-Dade County, according to the internet, on uh, what was once Muskogo Land. I've been here since 2008 uh, when I came down here to attend the University of Miami, Cocaines. And I never left. Before that, I called Richmond, Virginia home, where I did most of my growing up. Though I was born in Brooklyn, New York. Best I do or die. Even though I was really technically in Clinton Hill, that don't rhyme the same. Like, there's no cool rhyme for Clinton <laughs> Hill. But, yeah, that's, that's what it is, man. I'm just out here trying to keep it happening, trying not to embarrass my, my lovely wife, uh, who does not deserve the strain that I put her through on a rather consistent basis, and uh, who has blessed me with three mostly dope children. I say mostly because as children are wont to do, they get on my nerves a lot mm -hmm. but they're also very dope people everybody get on my nerves except for me so it's not their fault well it sounds like it's your fault you know i don't really like your attitude right now <laughs> i'm not i'm not Shut a fan up. of that theory <laughs> well i mean we can wrap this podcast now trey thanks for coming on faith in the fresh <laughs> we did it well we didn't solve the bible park there's a lot of money there you ever see that Bible part? Uh, uh, it was a Kickstarter. Somebody, maybe this is just internet folklore, but they wrote the Bible. They made it really, really nice. They used open source King James versions, but they put it slightly in a modern vernacular. And I think the Kickstarter either made half or one million. So I'm saying creating new examples and expressions of the Bible into a modern translation is not only required. Ah, I'm getting ahead of myself, but there might be some money into that. Anyway. Hey, you might be, and, and I think there's a, there's an audience for it. And I'm, I, I play myself cause I'm currently in the process of, of working on what I hope is my first book. And it's not that, but it might, maybe it should have been because people keep on asking me if I'm ever going to do a full translation of the whole Bible. Yeah. And yeah. my thought was, eventually, if I do enough podcasts, I'm going to accidentally do it anyway. So, it's a, yeah. For those translators, they take years to do it, though. That's a, like decades, maybe. Right. Yeah. So, if you're a responsible one, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going at a good clip, decades. Well, just starts yeah. with something easy. Yeah, some, 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 some easy, light work, you know, like revelation. Numbers, yeah. <laughs> 
light work. So uh, in this episode, we I would like to ask you some questions about your ministry because where you come from, uh, where you come out of, the people that have formed and shaped you is very different than my own experience. Yet, in some manner, we have crisscrossed into the same space on the interwebs and uh, share a lot of the same ideas around these possibilities of gospel, faith, Jesus, and the like. So we want to get into your podcast, but I think it would make sense to offer a piece of context of what does, because you are a minister, what does ministry look like for you today? Work our our way, listeners, back into your formation uh, in church and and as a Christian. So uh, you could go back to front, front to back. What does that look like for Trey? Yeah. So I am a product of the black church tradition, more specifically the black Baptist church tradition um, through and through. I first entered the black Baptist church at the age of four days old. Um, my mom loves telling that story. I, I wasn't born in a hospital. I was born in a maternity center in, uh, up in New York. And my mother had me on a Wednesday and in church that Sunday. And the rest was pretty much history from there. Like I was one of those kids who's in church every Sunday in there for midweek. My mom was one of the praise dancers. So I'm in there for rehearsal. Been there for vacation, Bible study, all, all them things. Um, when we relocate, we find a church. It's what you do. You stay plugged in. I was that person until Sunday morning's routine turned from wake up, you're ready for church, to wake up, are you coming to church? Mm-hmm. And the moment it was a question, I was like, mm-hmm. Are you really no? asking me? <laughs> I got <laughs> a choice. And, yeah. And then um, I kind of fell out of that uh, in my teenage years. And throughout my first couple years of college, I wasn't really interested in spending my weekend mornings going somewhere. Like I, I did that every other day of the week for years and years and years. So I didn't um, until I found myself back in church mm. and I didn't feel obligated to be there or anything. It was somewhere that I wanted to go. I wanted to be around those people. I wanted to hear these sermons, I wanted to hear these lessons. I wanted to reflect on these scriptures. This is something I wanted to do. And before I knew it, I found myself uh, in settings where I had the opportunity to talk about the Bible, first with young people, then with Christians of all ages and generations. And I found myself serving as a minister um, in the same church tradition. I am no longer officially uh affiliated with any Baptist body. Uh, my church is officially non-denominational. We've actually been affiliated at various points with other non-Baptist denominations, um, more Pentecostal denominations, but we're at this point intentionally and uh, desirably non-denominational uh, in part because of the freedom we feel that that gives us to pursue whatever, wherever it is the Lord is leading us, you know? Uh, with regards to my particular context, I am the director of discipleship, which starts as uh, developing programs and stuff to keep people plugged in and learning about their faith. But uh, 
as we'll probably end up talking about because of the way my mind is wired a little bit becomes a challenge to how do we know that any of these programs are actually making disciples and how do we go about making better disciples? And fortunately I'm in a place where I'm allowed to ask those questions, to pursue the answers to those questions. And I'm given the grace to sometimes find out or discover that maybe this isn't the answer and we need to redirect some things. So primarily like, minister the word minister means to serve and that's my job to serve people as best i can and growing into the people um that god has created them to be and it's not my determination to tell them god's created them to be like where do you hear god's voice in your life where do you hear god calling you i want to help get you there um, that's my ministry in in the vocational sense in the traditional sense but i also view all of the other things i'm doing in terms of writing in terms of podcasting in terms of the tweets that i'll be shooting out like all of that's ministry to me Mm. because my hope is that Mm. the totality of my witness in all of those Mm. spaces might serve to a greater end and and like i want the things that i say and the things that that i leave people with to to resonate in a way that calls them higher further deeper you're not disconnecting or compartmentalizing those worlds they're very much right. the connection togetherness of them they're whole yeah man Mi- whole. ministry I'm, I'm fortunate enough that that ministry can be what most people would consider a job i mean like it's, it's how i make uh, most of my living at this point mm-hmm. but at the same time like i don't want it to just be a job because at the end of the day i i, I don't I haven't had too many jobs. I haven't gotten tired of or, or exhausted of it. Sometimes ministry can be exhausting, but at the same time, I want to be able to love this. I want to be able to be excited about what I get to do and the people that I get to work with. I, I want to be excited about that. And so mm. part of that for me is obscuring some of those um, limiters that we tend to put in place. I almost said boundaries, but boundaries are a good thing. And I do need to have boundaries because at the same time, I'm a whole person <laughs> with a whole family. And I need to protect all of those things. I need to honor myself. I need to honor my family. And so boundaries are important. But I, I try not to, as you said, compartmentalize to the point where I now have to put on different hats to do ministry in different places, you know? I want to stick with the notion of discipleship because if there's one thing that's always hot, especially in my context, my old context of so growing up in white evangelicalism is how I would describe it. Um, and in the past 20 years, um, outside of that completely, but within a more of a non-denominational context, what was always hot and still is, is the notion of making disciples. And especially right. in the church planting world, that's always focus, making disciples, discipleship. Uh, Sometimes that's used interchangeably with leadership and leadership development, which Mm -hmm. I think is is a misnomer. That's the wrong connection. Uh, You turn people into cogs, into the machine to keep the ship running. Uh, That's leadership development, making good managers of programs. That's leadership development. Uh, but discipleship, so discipleship is always hot, uh, yet I know of very few churches, any church really, but we can pick on you know white evangelicals because they talk about it all the time, and they name it, they call it out, they parade around their tapestries of Matthew 28. So discipleship in, in your context now, let's talk about 
that. What it looks like, you gave a little preview already, but also, mm-hmm. so what it looks like, that's one part, but also what you are seeing in terms of how your ministry is informed to resonate the notion of God's unfolding plan in life and community to make the connection there um, rather than let's, and I, this is not what you said, rather than rot tradition, uh, old religious ways of understanding the faith that there's perhaps a reinterpretation or um, a new way of connecting with a vibrant faith today. Yeah. It's honestly a little tricky, right? Particularly mm-hmm. when you're serving in, a church that is a composite of people who have grown up and appreciate more traditional settings as well as those who are various degrees of unchurched because everybody comes with different expectations, Mm. right? Mm. And I don't think that that's necessarily a problem to be solved so much as it is a reality to be acknowledged, held, and and walked in, right? Because even, okay, if you look at, the um, the Hebrew Bible's story of the exile, the, the the Judeans returning from exile, right? Returning from the Babylonian exile, and they're constructing this temple. And then it says at one point, I believe in Nehemiah or Ezra, I'm always getting confused between the two of them because they were contemporaries. But it says that as they were um, laying the foundation for this new temple, that some of them were celebrating while the people who were there to remember the first temple and its glory were mm-hmm. weeping. And that ended up making it sound right. And, and that, that wasn't a problem that they solved. It was just a reality yeah. that they acknowledged. Uh-huh. And so that's one of those things that we have to acknowledge that first and foremost, I grew up in a black church tradition, but that does not mean that I was isolated from the totality and the momentum mm. and the tentacles of white evangelicalism. Mm. Because often in America, oh, what it means to be American and to become American often means to be white mm-hmm. and some some so many of us without having done it intentionally even necessarily um, what it meant to be faithful what it meant to do the right thing was to imitate what what you saw the big boys doing right and and so when you look at discipleship in that regard like i'm not foreign to what you're referring to is like oh discipleship is the hot button word particularly when it comes to church planners yeah i know exactly what mm-hmm. you mean and at the end of the day when you're looking at an institutional church that's that's what will drive a lot of things if i can get people excited about belonging to these groups and what happens next in my development and growing into the next step whatever that looks like that's a great strategy for church growth and especially if i can document that and and make that into something that is replicable and and, and duplicatable that's that's a pretty good strategy for for church growth which is another one of those big um mm. how about things particularly in the world of right evangelicalism mm. right and so part of my job is to understand those realities and those trends as well as the people who are used to and have come to accept those things mm. while also, am I making sense right now? Yeah, but with those people, so you're saying that those people would respond, some, some, to uh, a more traditional approach to discipleship that they would seek out and like, come on, pastor, give me what's next in my, in my journey towards, you know, whatever deeper. Yeah. In theory, but here's the thing about a church, particularly when it comes to an organization, a lot of it 
has to do with the culture that you instill. Um, and that's not something that's done with the wave of a wand. It's something that's done through repetition, through communication, through teaching, through listening, through through sharing, right? And and through um, more than one voice being heard and, and having a seat at the table. Because at the end of the day, one of the things that I've discovered is that when you provide those programs and that becomes the culture, like, People will come. Mm-hmm. They 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 will. That'll happen. But when or if, I should say if, you come to a point where you question whether or not what you're doing is actually discipleship or whether it's just another form of I don't know if you want to call it cloning or indoctrination or uh <laughs> whatever you have it. When you come to ask those questions and you start to like wonder if there are other ways of doing things. Um, Should you have, whether you view it as courage or faith or even folly to try to switch things up a little bit, which is always a huge no, no. If you're in a, in a Mm. church setting, Mm. like you, people don't like things being changed Mm. Uh, and that doesn't happen. But, but should you pursue that path that there will be people who are excited by that particularly um, as it comes to people are always fretting about the declining numbers of, of churches and that's across denominations whether you're in one of the more mainline or progressive denominations or one of the more conservative evangelical denominations like numbers are going down but part of that is just generations view things differently it's one of the ways society works um, and that's not something that we ought to be afraid of I'm of the school of thought, and that's one of the reasons that Jesus says that don't think that I've come to bring peace. I came not to bring peace, but a sword to turn uh, a son against his father, a daughter against mother-in-law, and all of those are are generational divides that are being pointed out. Mm. Jesus says, no, I've come because this younger generation is going to have another way of viewing these things, Mm. right? Um, And so if we are true to that call and acknowledge the shifts that happen among us, and, and, and I don't want to make it a, a world uh, versus church thing or us versus them thing so much as a generational thing because mm. it happens regardless of where you are. Mm. Like Should, these yeah. people are interacting, yeah. right? Um, when you begin to question, okay, where are these people, right? Where, 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 where how have these generations uh, moved along whatever axes they have? Like, well, where are they? How do... I need to move in order to connect with these people. And then what does growth look like from where and to where? Like though these are all questions that we ask in discipleship because it's important to note that Jesus' only mode of teaching, like it wasn't just a sermon on the mount where he stood somewhere mm-hmm. and lectured a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. It often meant going out to where people are Table, yep. and calling them from from the boats they were at or, or yeah, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. Yeah, I'm yeah. coming I'm coming I'm coming to your house. Uh-huh. Or, or or hey man, like drop the net on the other side of that boat. And it, a lot of times it's meeting people where they are. Mm-hmm. Okay, what does growth look like from here and to where? And even to Jesus' last moments with the twelve, um he says, Hey Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my lambs and all this stuff. And then, uh, hey, what about him? And he says, what's that to you? If I want him to stay alive until I get back, then that's on me. Because growth and discipleship does not look the same Mm -hmm. for everybody. Mm -hmm. While the ultimate destination 
with regard to the kingdom and this reality that we're trying to to pursue and construct here may be the same. That path is not going to look the same. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we have to acknowledge when we talk about what it means to be a disciple and discipleship. It's something that we often obscure when we take these rigid programmatic uh, approaches. And, and it's funny because even like we start invoking phrases which are right at a modern etymologically I just trip myself up right there the etymology is right in these mm, phrases mm. right when we say things like um, doing life together mm. which is ultimately what discipleship is about but then sometimes that just evolves so we're going to take this lesson plan and do it at a bowling alley instead you know <laughs> oh. that's uh, I rolled my eyes how how is your church doing these things because if I'm honest when you, when you if I'm because I've been lying this whole time but now I'm going to be honest. <laughs> yeah, what a dumb phrase. Because how you described the approach, programmatically at least, of your church and its approach to discipleship sounds no different than many churches who are at least alert to the possibilities and importance of discipleship. However, yeah. how you describe the approach of Jesus and also the um, the openness of of people essentially, but the openness of how discipleship should be approached because of the numerous ways people connect with God, uh, that's different than program and doing things, albeit content is going to be different, but doing things in a, I'll use this word, strategic way at a church level, right? So how is your, yeah. your church pragmatically then expressing, on one hand, a, a normal conventional way or approach of discipleship, go take your you know lessons to the Bolinelli, versus the different ways. Or did I did I not capture the approach uh, uh, accurately? Yeah, I think that's fair. But I do need to be very careful saying just um, based on on the order of the way that things are released. Um, certain things I can't say too much about just because of where my church is personally. Mm -hmm. Like um, we, because of the pandemic and the way things shook out, um, ended up as a church without a physical home for a little bit and being fully virtual. And we're actually at building. the point where finally, yeah. you're right. Yeah, that's um, okay. Right, but we're at the point where we're finally ready to reverse that reality. Mm -hmm. And so there are going to be some things that are newly introduced with um, what we're able to do in this space that uh, we've been blessed with. And I don't I don't want this to be the way that anybody finds out about that. I think that's a little out of order. Um, but at the same token, when it comes to the philosophy of it, there aren't, especially when it comes to evangelical context, and even though I'm from the black church tradition, many of the frameworks and tenets are very similar, if not the same, as white evangelical counterparts, right? Um, particularly with regards to the centrality of the Bible and, and the way that the Bible is esteemed. We don't often promote questions. Not, right? Yeah, dialogue, right. even. Yeah. Right, right. And one of the things that I uh, appreciated about the, the church where I currently serve and, and, and the pastor uh, who casts a lot of the visionaries that he, at the end of every Bible study, right? Like maybe Bible study, he'll have a question and answer session and you can come and ask a lot of questions regarding the lesson, regarding text, regarding some things that are confusing you. Um, and that's dope. And I think the more we encourage that, the more avenues to actual discipleship and growth and faith that we offer. But taking that a step further, 
what if somebody has a fundamental question about faith, right? Like, pluck something out. Yo, this Trinity thing doesn't make a whole lot of sense, mm. right? Like, a lot of us don't exist in church context where a question like that or a statement like that would be well received. Even though if we're being mm-hmm. honest, like, nah, this is bonkers. Like, what what exactly <laughs> are sense. we saying when yeah. we say, right? <laughs> um, and leaning into yeah. the mystery of the faith. Mm-hmm. Because a, a lot of us are in context where certainty is the goal. Yeah, yeah, where answers. Removing of, yeah, yeah, um, answers are the goal. And removing mystery yeah. and all of those things. Mm-hmm. When in reality, that is the most fertile ground for faith. Right. Like certainty is in many senses the antithesis, the enemy, the the captor of faith. Um, uncertainty, when we lean into that, that, that's when our faith has a chance to thrive. Right. So if we were to look at discipleship, not as a matter of programming answers and catechizing you into certain traditions, but where are your questions? Where are your doubts? Where were all of those? Where do those things exist? Because that's when God shows up and, mm. and carries you over, where, where you can't walk mm. uh, for, for lack of sight because this mm. is making sense to me, right? That's when I become a disciple. That's when uh, I actually have to follow God. Shucks. Yes. Right? Like, I'm never, I'm not going to follow God when my certainty mm. is. I don't mm-hmm. need to. Yeah, like, yeah, I know yeah, what that I'm looks good. like. Yeah. I don't need yeah. that leadership, yeah. right? So then that becomes, and, and I'm being a little vague here on purpose because if we go to this canvas of, okay, what does it look like when we find out where people's uncertainties, where people's doubts, where people's questions are, what does it look like if we dwell in that place for a little bit and then let God lead through that place, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not out of or around it, but through that place. Mm -hmm. And that canvas is when we can start to decipher what discipleship actually looks like. Mm -hmm. Because one thing like, disciples even after jesus's death burial and resurrection they weren't certain about a whole lot <laughs> they, they came to be certain that okay yeah jesus did get out the grave but where did he go to what are we supposed to do with this do we need to make all of these people jewish like jesus was yeah we do no we don't like there's a whole there's there's they're making it up yeah. yeah right so getting back to that place of uncertainty hmm. and then allowing uh, uh, grace to make up for for the times where we may might not have all of the yeah. answers, but also um, faith is when we trust that God has us regardless of which way we go in this regard. You know? Yeah, tracking me, and and it kind of came full circle there because now now I'm now I'm reading your mail. The uh, <laughs> uh, the notion of cultivating both the possibilities of uncertainty and dialogue within community, but having that community in order and the trust within it to then listen to where God will take and let other voices, not merely the leaders or pastors, step up to announce where the next step might be. I think that's a crucial space, especially in I don't say the reimagination of the church in a modern age, but that's actually a reclamation of of practices. Um, and you are now doing that within the context of a wider church, larger church body. I'm trying to, yeah. Yeah, yeah <laughs> no, but it, yeah, it, and w- which I would say I'm trying to do the same things at a much smaller scale. 
because as you were as you were describing, and I was trying to make connection points, and you had started off the hop talking about uh, not compartmentalizing the pieces of your ministry, right? And then you have the church stuff here on discipleship. Yet what you didn't loop in at that point, even though it's not disconnected, is all the work that you're doing on Three Black Men, on translation, on um, uh, what was the other thing, on the book that you're writing, on the tweets, right? That those pieces are, in fact, expressions of discipleship. And I I process that through, okay, the people who may not necessarily fit within the, the local church context also have this avenue that also counts through these other mediums and factors um, in different ways. And the connection points are in different ways. And those two are almost juxtaposed, but in fact, um, as, as you said, they are not dissociated. They are in fact connected and part of the whole. Although, would you say that people will land uh, differently? That there are different people that land in those spaces? Yeah, for sure. One of the things that I'm blessed to have is permission, right? And I don't mean that in like a, a, a paternalistic sense, but a lot mm-hmm. of times people in vocational ministry feel restricted by whatever structures they're in. And I'm fortunate enough to have a lead pastor and leadership who understands, uh, nobody understands me in fullness, but they, they, they come close and they're, and they're dedicated to trying. They understand um, how I'm wired in certain senses. So when it comes to like the stuff I do with three black men and translation, like my pastor and the leaders of the church, they say like, no, this is actually a resource for us. Yeah. Like you, you, you have been constructed in a way that you can reach people in this fashion, you know. And when we start doing that, as opposed to because there are certain places, if I were to be in certain settings and launched a venture like that, it could be viewed as threatening. Like, yo, who do you think you are? What are you doing? Like, yeah, yeah, not a job. You mm. know? The ability and the permission to do things like that to bring the fullness of yourself mm. to your ministry is not something that we grant everybody. And I think it's much to our sad shame and chagrin, yes. right? Because one of the things I appreciate about what you're doing, right, with the cipher, um, is that you're not that invested on making it seem like what people are used to. Because y'all don't y'all don't even do the every Sunday thing, right? No, and although now online we go every other week, but it's all online. Okay. And we never right. did Sunday before when the actual cipher, for folks folks who know what the cipher is, I don't need to explain it, but when we actually did that, which was a number of years ago now, and I don't know if we'll ever go back to it, um, we never had a Sunday, A, where we just, well, we never met Sunday. We never sang, never did any of that. For a couple of years, it was a cipher. And then after that, it was always different things. Movement, dance, writing, poetry, spoken word, um, chalk, image, like, and worship expressions that I'd never done before. But I have never had such an insightful or in-depth experience in worship as I did through these brand new expressions that we tried out. And many of them were one-offs. So, yeah. Yeah, but at the same token, you are not afraid to do those things or i mean you might you might you might you might have been scared uh no crapless <laughs> no no okay. there was totally un, and that was the joy is that i did not lead maybe more than half of them someone came with an idea from the community be like i have this idea can we and then we work together and they take it wild eh man 
Yeah, that's gorgeous. It was. So and 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 you sound like literally you're you're I, I can sense your spirit getting a little lighter as you discuss and remember yes. and reassemble all of these memories. Because yeah. something different happens when we allow people to be who God created them to mm-hmm. be, to do what God created them to do. And a lot of times in mm-hmm. our mm-hmm. quote unquote discipleship programs, we end up training that out of people. Yeah. We say we want them to lead, uh-huh. Uh-huh. but no, we want you to lead in this capacity, yeah. in this ministry. But what if the place where God has called them to lead is somewhere we haven't seen before? Mm. And so we can't supervise that because we I, I don't know how to train you to lead in this regard because I've never seen mm-hmm. this before. Church doesn't have the vision for that. Right. And what I'm doing on, on the side in, in the podcast, Word of My Writing, it's not even revolutionary, but at the same time, mm. a lot of the people I was working with, they, they hadn't seen that play out in that way mm. and i'm not gonna sit here and act like i have all the answers because there's times when i've been charged with synthesize synthesizing things and i say look i don't know how to connect these dots yet like, yeah, i'm not yeah, sure yeah. how to make that work in this context yeah. or this work in that context but what and that's why personally i try to break down some of those contexts i mean some of those dividers because why do they need to be viewed as different contexts why can't i view, be viewed as somebody who can preach and podcast or preach and like you know what I'm saying? And when mm. we understand that God in the fullness of wisdom has revealed the fullness of God and the fullness of divinity in so many different ways, that just as God is revealed in nature around us as the Bible itself attests mm. to, just as God is revealed in part through scripture, just as mm. God is revealed through prophecy, through words of encouragement, through all of those things that there are all of these different ways, and if I'm discipling you out of my limited knowledge, out of my limited gifting, uh, then I'm only discipling you into a fraction of the fullness of what God amen. is. Yes, yes. Well, I appreciate your words because it just brought back memories. You were right. It looks like the air got a little lighter of when people... And they're not even looped in. They weren't even looped in fully into the community yet had the space to use expressions and to bring an idea. And I can think of, I want to share two of them. One of them was, and again, these are ideas that we wrapped, we tweaked, we just nuanced slightly into some type of of expression that uh, would draw into a, a spiritual connection. One was image bearing beauty. And the exercise was we had everyone come into the room. There was a long table with a lot of d- different uh, blank pieces of paper, paper, and everyone got a piece of charcoal. And the exercises included draw the person in front of you. You got 30 seconds. Go. Draw what you see. For, pass along the picture to the next person. Now add something beautiful and so forth. Different ways of drawing and illustrating with the purpose of revealing the inherent beauty in each other. And I've never been in, in a moment of worship or expression in the church where we were able to pull out each of our and collectively the image bearing beauty of God in a tactile and also visual way. The other piece was uh so wait, pause, pause real quick before you don't 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 lose that point, but that is so gorgeous the way like okay, Jesus teaches in in ways that make you feel things, right? Like Jesus yeah. he'll paint a picture or or tell a story in a way that yes. connects things with you. And one of my prayers every day is, God, let me see people the way that you see them. Mm-hmm. And y'all embody that mm-hmm. in that moment. like, And, and that, that's like so dope. Yeah. Like, 
that's discipleship. Yeah, <laughs> we, yeah, we yeah. Came, that part I never made the connection. Right. So, sorry. That's ahead, discipleship. Yeah, like that. Yes, that was a deeply formative moment in community that would never, ever happen in any conventional Sunday morning service ever. Not even in right. the most innovative of Sunday mornings when y'all have a skit. Like never. So the the other one that I'm thinking again, it was not one, it wasn't my idea, not remotely. This one was an exercise in empathy. And it was seeing, seeing, I see you to affirm one another and to see the person. And it was empathy through movement. And can you imagine like, A, a lot of people, they are very apprehensive when it comes to moving or dance. This one was moving, but not only that, in close proximity to one another and to pause and look into someone's eyes to intentionally lock gaze. So not only do some people think, you know, dance is from the devil, but we were operating with movement, move as freely and whatever random way you want, which is hard for people. Like you never do that unless it's in the shower by yourself. And then pause in these moments to linger and just without words, look into someone and affirm someone uh, through a gaze. Oh man, like we had to process after that because of the, the, the depth of seeing someone as a practice that even in the church, we have no clue, no experience, no exercise, nothing to even tether you into that depth of worship around empathy. Anyways, those are two. Yo, I hear you. And that's dope because like you say empathy, but one of the things that kept coming up in my mind and in my spirit as you told that story was something of intimacy. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. And just yes. the very notion of staring mm-hmm. into each other's eyes and everything. It's discomforting for a lot of us yes. because a lot of times we come in and we do discipleship together and we do life together, but we're not really intimate. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. even the word intimate is something that that it's off-putting to a lot yeah, of people. Yeah. I think it was um, Willie James Jennings, Dr. Willie James yeah. Jennings, who um, talked about the erotic nature of the Bible and the gospel story that is often downplayed. But even this very nature, this very notion yes, of, yes. of taking the body of Jesus into your body and the blood of Jesus, like that is a very intimate mm, and even mm, erotic mm. moment that is described. And we take that out because it's not very comfortable. But like radical love isn't comfortable regular love ain't comfortable half the time um so just the very nature and just the very nature of getting together and doing something that yo this is weird but like if so long as no nobody's like traumatized in the process or whatever like no we shared something in that moment and that's what this is ultimately about it was weird because it was so foreign yet it was right like a part of you was able to affirm that I needed this and you couldn't quite put yeah. your finger on it, but it was there and you touched it. And that's so different than, you know, the vast majority of experience. And that was discipleship experience in sure. the church. Shucks, man. See, how do you, how do you come back from some of those hits, man? I tell you, now we just do yeah. stuck online not stuck online because that's actually opened the door quite a bit for disabled folks to come through. But I don't know what the next expression looks like. Anyways. 
Let's switch gears to your the other things. Uh, three Black Men podcast. Uh, why why do that with your homies? How you how you know? Yeah, those? man. So how, how do we end up doing that with the homies, man? Uh, where how do we know each other? Oh, we met on um. Is there's this website called Twitter dot com. Hold up, let me <laughs> let me write that one down. You go ahead, write yeah. that down. It's new. Yeah, now nah, man, the kids on this one, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think there's too many youths, youths on that one yet. <laughs> you know, once the youths get their hand on it, it belongs to the youths. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but now nah, we met on Twitter. We did, yeah. and uh, and Rob started a group chat with us. On it was actually four black men in that group chat. Uh, <laughs> uh, but there were, there were three really active black men in that group chat, <laughs> and from from that group chat, we started a uh, well. Rob suggested like, "Yo, we should start a podcast," and we was like, "Yeah, let's do it." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it became um, <laughs> what we gonna talk about? Yeah, what we what we gonna talk about? Yeah, we Stuff. we gonna talk about theology and culture, <laughs> and you know the world around us. And okay, what we gonna call it? Um, and we start kicking around all sorts of names like the barbershop, the stoop. Uh, <laughs> man, let's just call it three black men. Cool. But they need to know what we're gonna talk about. Okay, three black men. Theology, culture, and the world around us. And that's how it went uh-huh. down. You know? <laughs> uh-huh. So simple. I love it when a yeah. good idea comes together. <laughs> just like that. Just any like day, that. man. The check's in the mail, right? The money's coming. Who's gonna sign? Who's the big Spotify? That's next. That's who spends the That's, money. Hey, hey, man, you never know. You ever heard you of a little Spotify.com before? It, it I, you joke about it, but there have been opportunities for us to branch out a little bit. And truth be told, we say we say no far more often than we say yes, for the simple fact that we enjoy a certain level of autonomy, both creatively yeah, yeah. and like other otherwisely. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, we have a, a really dope Patreon community that uh, supports us and enables to do some some different things. Uh, is hopefully the Lord willing the creek don't rise creek don't rise. We'll be doing some other dope things um, in the coming months and years. But even then, like you see, each of us has launched uh, an individual solo hosted podcast under the Three Black Men imprint since then, and uh, that's all been really dope. It's been. Uh, this really encouraged me and some things that I suspected were in me, but I didn't mm. feel like I had the permission or avenues to do. Mm. So I, I'm not just a minister now. I'm, I guess what, what they're calling in the streets, a, a creator <laughs> in the sense that we do all that stuff. So podcast started about a year ago. Mm, we are on the third season. So it started at least two years ago. I would think it's around uh, pandemics start. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely started like pandemic yeah, yeah. times for sure. Pandemic times. Uh, so yeah, I think we would we would have got this thing popping towards the latter half of twenty twenty. I'm imagining. Shucks, man! And look how look how the the momentum's growing. Uh, I'll put all the links in the show notes. Uh, yeah, man, we got idea. we got over twenty thousand listens in, in Dang. a few short. Yeah, yeah, we we done launched our own uh, and I love uh, so. Sam just launched his podcast. We're going to talk about it. And I get excited every time he talks about that podcast and, and where his vision is for yeah. it. I know Rob has Black Coffee and Theology, which is a real dope. Like he had, His guest lineup is amazing. Like the, the the people he's able to have conversations with. 
what I love about Rob is he's not just going for people with like giant followings who will get him more listeners. Like he'll have a Dr. Will Gaffney on there. Uh, but then like maybe somebody he just met on Twitter and I'm like, y'all like some of the stuff you say. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, matter yeah, if you yeah, have 150 yeah. followers yeah. or 20,000 followers. Like I would yeah. love to have a conversation. That's important with, to do that. You know? I always try to do yeah. a similar thing to pull in the local voice that nobody's yeah. heard of because they're going to give you not only unique perspective, but something that's closer to home. And that yeah. matters. Yeah, he has really dope conversations with really dope people on Black Coffee and Theology. And then you got uh, me making uh, podcasts for people with short attention spans. Like, I think my longest episode to this date has been 16 minutes and something, something seconds. That's, uh, that's actually um, too long for a sermon. Yeah, you know what? I did hear you say you say that you don't you don't ever preach longer than five minutes, and I'm like that is wildly impressive. Because one of the things like over the pandemic, try to like okay, so pre pandemic in, in the world BP before before pandemic, I'm speaking on average between 22 and 35 minutes. Okay, that's mm. <laughs> just how it goes. Um, and, but also like so, my undergraduate degree is in communication. Like I've studied a lot about particularly electronic media. That's my my undergraduate degree is in i'm like yo nobody is sitting there for that long even when it comes mm-hmm. to a 30 minute tv uh-huh. show it's 22 more often yeah. than not except for premium channel yeah, yeah you're looking at 22 minutes yeah. plus eight minutes of advertising thrown in there i'm like yo this is not going to work when we go virtual so mm-hmm. we actually condensed our entire worship service yeah. like including yeah. songs prayers all that stuff offering communion into 30 to 40 minutes yeah. and i got it down um to delivering messages usually in 12 to 15 minutes man you said you deliver five minute messages i've, I've done that once in my entire I mean, life for a seminary class and um <laughs> i don't do it right now online it's probably 10 because okay. i have there's it's different online right now 10 minutes is that more... is insufferable that's way too long. Ten <laughs> minutes. Oh but you know check five minutes right it was when we were doing the cypher church stuff right so yeah. it might have been in the context that we were actually running the cypher and when it's dying down, you know, you, you <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess the biggest, the best connection would be like if the worship band is going in and, and it's some, it's hot gospel flare and worship and the minister comes on for his piece, you know, in between. That was kind of what we did. But you only got for, for a group that the vast majority are not Christians whatsoever. They're gonna they're gonna humor you because they knew coming in this was church and this was a spiritual thing. But you got tops five minutes, so you better bring whatever you want within that time and make it count. I don't know to say that any of my words in five minutes were actually good or counted or whatever. I, I have no idea, but delivered in the five because that's all you had. So for years, three plus years. Everything that we did, that's all you would have to be intentional around shaping or forming. It was it was five minutes. So that's like a long spoken word or yeah. just a short yet profound idea of invitation and, and, and questions. Always asking questions to let it linger and let the community respond to that. Yeah, that was it was hard. I delivered. That's yeah, why I, I make hundreds of dollars. I got paid by, <laughs> by time. <laughs> Dozens of dollars. Yeah, no. The the one time, like I said, one time in my entire life, I delivered a message in five minutes. I think I was in like four minutes and fifty something seconds, 
And boy, I'm telling that thing sounded like a Kendrick verse. Like I was just in there, just, just I was in there wrapping my little butt off for them five minutes trying to get that in there. So I don't know if it stuck. It's probably your best sermon. Hey man, much like a Kendrick verse, I'm pretty there sure it slapped, but I don't think anybody remember none of it. You know what I'm well, saying? You just gotta like, say it over and over again. You only need one of those. Yeah. You tour the country. Yeah, Everybody would be, hey, be repetitious, is, man. man. Four minutes and fifty five seconds. That's a long song. It was. It was. It was. It was. It was for a class. It was for. It was for a preaching class, and uh, we had a whole lot of sermons to get through that day. So the professor was like, "Y'all have five minutes," and some people. Did not think that professor was serious. So they preached for much longer than five minutes. And their grades reflected that. But because I'm a good listener, and if you tell me I got five minutes to do something in the class, I'm not going to take longer than five minutes to do that thing. So I did that thing. Uh, 4.55. I don't know if I would have been yeah. able to do that in seminary. They trained us in seminary uh, 20. 20 was the absolute cutoff. Yeah, so I actually ended up going to a couple of different seminaries because – the first seminary trained me to be a minister I was not comfortable being. Mm. And so I left that seminary for one that was a little more, uh, I enjoyed more freedom <laughs> to be who God was calling mm. me to be in that regard. And in this particular context made me operate in that particular way. But no, I'm, I'm well acquainted with, uh, uh, the environment that would have trained you to preach in a different way. And I, I, I could still get you a good 20, 25 minute Oh man, I can there. do I'm, that. I'm good That's right. We yeah. trained in that. Like you want to get yeah. your money's worth? Heck, I can exegete the text until the cows come home, man. I just oh, have yeah. never been given, and this is why I think, especially when you minister into a post-Christian context, is that you are not given that privilege to be speaking for 30 to 45 minutes. That is a privilege, and not only that, I think it demonstrates you're a crap communicator because you need yeah, 45 good. minutes to say one thing or however many things to tell one story, 45 minutes, man, sit I don't down. even think it has much to do with being in a post-Christian context. I think it has more to do with the fact that we live in a streaming context, like the way that Culture, we consume. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I know people are going to wince at me using that word in terms of Christianity and church circles. Like, well, no, we're not consumers. I'm like, yo, <laughs> we're all consumers. This is America. This is what we do. Um, but at the end of the day, like, I remember the the first time that my kids can remember seeing a commercial, like when they were mm. watching the show, and a commercial, and they were like, what is this? Like, where did my cartoons go? Oh, and I'm like, what do you mean? Because they just been like, streaming. Right, oh, right. man, I didn't right. even and think the very that. Yes, exactly. Like, it took you a minute to connect the dots right there. And I'm like, yo, what is happening? And it, never, it didn't occur to me They'd that never they seen. hadn't experienced things in that way. <sighs> and literally, the way that we are conditioned yeah. to consume things is so very, very different. Yes. Like, hmm. right now, if you walk into a classroom, a high school classroom and ask students to put their phones away, you're going to cause a minor uproar. Like there might be a mutiny. Whereas when I was in high school, you tell the people to put the phone away. Yeah, I'm putting the phone. I can't do nothing but play snake on here. No way. You tell a kid to put a phone away. Now you tell them to put their calculator away. You tell them to put their computer away, their note taking device, and all of these mm. things. The very way that we could, that, that we are uh, receiving yeah. information and everything yeah. is different. So to assume that we wouldn't have to learn new ways of communicating is an exercise in folly. If you ask me. So what you're saying is that I need to get the TikTok.com. That's you saying? Yo, you know what? I'm on TikTok, but I try to I try to be respectful of the youth space because that TikTok belongs to the youth. Oh. It is. Um, so you're saying I should get a TikTok.com? I'm for sure saying you should get a TikTok.com, bro. 
when you, I'm affirming everything you're saying right now. Like, yeah, you too old for TikTok, but do it anyway. <laughs> you too can be a hundred air. Dang. Yeah. Translation. So when I use the terms, okay, what's hot right now is deconstruction, even though, you know, I was doing that work when <laughs> Brian McLaren just came out with another book. You know, Brian McLaren? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I'm vaguely familiar. Yeah. He, 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 you know, book after book after book. Um, but his first or perhaps second, but hot book that came out 20 years ago was generous, uh, a generous unorthodoxy, something like that. Generous orthodoxy, something like that. Uh, and that's what was part of my processing out of white evangelicalism. And so now we've added the terms, which are old terms of deconstruction, which is hot in the TikTok.com world and Instagram, Twitter, and all those spaces. Um, white folks dominating that space, uh, not as much as, as ex-evangelical, which is predominantly a white space. And then not as much as decolonizing the faith, decolonizing Christianity. Now, you haven't used those words specifically, I don't think, and I don't want yeah. to put words in your mouth, although it does bring um, the things that you say into that space, whether you like it or not. Um, when I talk about decolonizing, decentering, and you even at the start of the show spoke about how white evangelicalism or, or just the tentacles of the machine still touch you in yeah. black church tradition... Right. Tell us about how your work, and especially around the translation podcast, is an exercise in reimagination, or perhaps reclamation, and then unto what I think it is work in decolonizing Christianity. Yeah, no, I hear you wholeheartedly. And you're right, I don't typically use those words too often, in part because a lot of times those are words that are used in white spaces um, and among white people working through some things. That's not to like slight it at all, but that's not the context that I work in yeah. most of the times. So one of the things that I found has really um, helped me be successful in online spaces is the fact that that information is viewed as useful, even if tangential to a lot of those people. And and, yeah. and I, I welcome, I'm glad I can minister to somebody, but I don't use those words because they're not very relevant in the context that I tend to serve in and because they are part and parcel of that context intrinsically, right? Like before there was a name for it, before... It was, I don't want to use the word trendy because that sounds like pejorative or patronizing in a sense. Yeah, fleeting. But yeah. before it was something that like people were looking at doing and naming as such, it defined my tradition, right? Mm. Like in order, think about this, in order for the black church to come into existence in the United States of America, we had to reject certain yeah, things about yeah, what we were yeah. taught about God. Mm. Like we had to look at this like, no, this does not make sense, mm. right? Um, and and that's been a part of our core identity since forever. So I don't necessarily view that as something that I need to undergo is, is kind of in the sense of, you know, one of the models of, of the reform tradition is simple reformanda, right? Like always reforming. I'm always re-examining. I'm always to use the common parlance. Now I'm always deconstructing, but not f to the end of, of taking things apart. I'm deconstructing as a means of reconstruction or, or, or constructing uh, a theology that more successfully leads me to wholeness mm. as opposed to self-hatred, mm. as opposed to self-denigration, yes. yes. as opposed yes. to restricting and dehumanizing mm. myself, mm. right? And and so that that's partly why I don't often use those words because like I feel like it is um, 
feel like it's recasting my tradition um, to make it seem like 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 something that just happened, even though it's it's, uh, it's what's always been happening, yes. right? But when it comes to translation, part of what I'm doing there, right? Um, <laughs> in every intro, I'm like, God speaks my language too, and I'm showing sure up about to act like it. Is that most of us in the United States read our Bibles in English. Mm, mm-hmm. And we do that because it is easier for most of us to understand English than it is for us to understand Hebrew, Aramaic, or Koine Greek. Right? <laughs> like, unless mm-hmm. you have studied those languages, mm-hmm. we do that. But here's the thing though we may all speak the same language, we're not all speaking the same dialect. We don't use the same vernacular, and that's something that is consistently changing, something that is yes. consistently evolving. It is something that we acknowledge because there's a new English translation uh, of the Bible coming out every couple of years, mm-hmm. right? Um, but just as most of us are not using the King James version of the Bible in our everyday like recitation or whatever, you know, a lot of people are. But people have moved on to other things. Yeah, you know, yeah. you got the new uh, new international version, the New Living Translation, mm-hmm. the uh, NASV, all, all these, di- I mean, sorry, NRSV, all these different translations of the Bible. My whole thing was, okay, for me to serve, especially when I started out in youth ministry, um, it's not the exclusive context that I serve in anymore, but for me to connect with these people, I have to retranslate these stories because that's not how any of them talk. It's, mm-hmm. it's not, it's mm-hmm. just not how people talk and communicate. So if we believe that we could translate these into whatever vernacular of English that we use in these bound Bibles of ours and still learn of God, if God can speak in those languages, then I have to believe that God can speak in whatever vernacular, whether that's African-American vernacular English or Ebonics, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and even that varies from region to region, mm-hmm. all right? So what I started, it's funny, um, I would take a, a Bible story and just like tweet it out in my vernacular, like my, my regular language, because I, I stopped cold switching online a long time ago for the most part. But I would do that, and someone was like, yo, that's like hmm. a new living translation, <laughs> and I just stuck with yeah, it. And so when Rob came with the idea <laughs> of like, yo, we should start individual podcasts, I was like, I got an idea. I'm going to just go with the translation thing. And it's funny because the first couple of episodes were actually just me recording those Twitter threads that I had done yeah, yeah. and added some commentary <laughs> to them. But That's a good idea. my whole thing is, okay, how do we make this Bible, regarded by many as the word of God, how do we make this word of God connect with yeah. different people, yeah. right? And that's going back to in, in Acts chapter two, when the Holy Spirit came and, mm-hmm. and dwelled among the people, the very first thing they did, the very first way that was made manifest was that they communed this gospel, communicated this gospel story, the story of Jesus in the languages, the many languages of all of the people who were gathered. Mm-hmm. And I said, wow, if the Holy Spirit empowered them to do that, then surely the Holy Spirit can empower us to do the same today. The Holy Spirit can empower us to speak in new languages and to speak the same truth. And what some people have actually started recognizing, I don't anticipate that it'll be readily apparent to some people is that like when I'm doing translations, I'm not just being funny or nothing. There's actual work that goes in there. Like I actually do go into original languages and I'm like, okay, am I being faithful to this text? Even if I choose a more unconventional way of putting it in English or whatever, like, no, I'm actually staying true to the text. So I want people to be able to trust and know you're actually getting the truth of this word, but it's going to be in a language that like, 
the way that you would speak to your friends. Mm. And I hope it doesn't come across as irreverent to people. I'm trying to be reverent. And that's like, I want you to get this truth in a way that sits with you. So you don't have to bring out the thesaurus just to read it in English, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's powerful and it's necessary. I think it was not that we need white dad's permission, but N.T. Wright, who noted years ago of how every generation should be retranslating the scriptures anyways into their modern vernacular to capture like the when was the last one other than there's like the nivs are are being updated all the time but um uh what is the message the message was the last one it's more of a 70s 80s sort of vernacular within uh by eugene peterson there are other ones that uh you know why, why should all the white guys get to do this work right Right. I'm saying that right. you're going to keep rolling with this podcast and you're going to make a Bible. You're going to make a Bible. Hey, man, I receive it. I receive it. I, I would love to one day. Like I, 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 would, I would really enjoy that. I, um, I, I enjoy is the right word because I like to roll through with what limited original language I have. And when you capture nuance of the text outside of white Euro-centered thinking, it's liberating. Like That's another oh, yeah. piece. The funniest thing about it to me is that I think that you can really only capture or even approach capturing the fullness of that text outside of that language you just described, like outside, mm. like just the whole Amen. reality of of justice yeah. and righteousness yeah. being two sides of the same coin. Um, and that reality, like that, that is a a Hebrew reality and, and a Greek. Matter of fact, in Greek, they're often the same yes. words, and in our translations, yes. they're translated differently depending mm-hmm. on the context. But in the Hebrew, and bias. it's two words. Yeah. Right, yeah. right, right. But because of the fact that somewhere along the line, Christianity became an imperial exercise, mm. a lot of the ways that we translate that into English mm-hmm. um, kind of blind us to a lot of the realities, and yes, sometimes even political realities yes. that are contained in yes. the text. So only when we divorce ourselves of the need to seem proper, yep. Right, yeah. because who's determining what yeah. proper is? That's why, yeah. like I said, I stopped yes. code switching online. <laughs> like, I'm gonna I'm talk how I talk because, like, you don't get to be the proof, and it's yes. readily apparent to most people who interact with me that I'm not exactly a dummy, even if I do <laughs> talk like, how I talk. Uh-huh. So, only in in divorcing myself of the need to meet this standard uh-huh. of appropriateness or approval, can I actually get to to the real talk of it all? Yeah. You know, what's the most biased version of the Bible? The most biased. This is lightning round now. In 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 English, in English, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Um, it's probably a tie between the King James version and the English Standard version. (laughs) Yes, I was gonna say the same thing. I was gonna say the same thing. Yep. Trash. Well, can I say that? (laughs) I mean, I I I get what I get what you're saying. I wouldn't call it trash because at the end of the day, like I won't, I won't say I'm bias free when I'm doing my translating. What annoys me is the fact that it then became the standards and I'm like, oh, King James only. What? Boy, shut up. That's stupid. I don't like that. Um, like I don't, I don't, I don't like the idea that that is something that we would need to affirm. I can appreciate the beauty of the King James version without saying like this is the only if it's good enough for Jesus and Paul, it's good enough for <laughs> Meg on somewhere. You know? I don't know. I just don't trust the King of England. So. <laughs> You know, I really value the time that you spent with us and what I picked out. Uh, would this be an accurate uh, portrayal of the work that you're doing? And also, um, this is just me trying to use words and making sense. So I apologize if it's pigeonholing. But as you were describing 
just reflecting and centering yourself in your own work and traditions. That is, it is an exercise, not in deconstruction or exvangel, whatever words, but you are re- retaining, you're retaining your postures rooted in resistance. Yeah. You know what? I think, I think that's, I think that's fair. I do. I think, I think that's fair um, because resistance is in fact an act of faith. It is a posture of faith and mm. um, that does in large part define a, a, a lot of what I do um, because sometimes that which prevents us from growing into the fullness of faith has put on the costume of that which should lead you into faith mm. you know hmm. do you have any parting words Nah, I don't think so, man. Just uh, wake up every day, figure out how you can love people better. That's that's yeah. it. Yeah, I'm the worst at that. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess I'm, I might just be a better person than you because I'm I'm pretty much like top ten in the world at that. But no, I'm I lying. Mean, I mean, <laughs> you, you're a real minister. I I don't even have. Cre- oh no, I do. I see, I don't even have credentials anymore. But uh, I printed some off online. So. There you go. Yeah. Hey, good.